Hey everyone, uh, instead of your regularly scheduled programming with myself and Ben, uh, this week I have a special guest, Michelangelo D'Agostino. He is the Senior Director of Data Science at ShopRunner. VP. V oh, congratulations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, my, my former boss, um, great data scientist, and he and I together have written an O'Reilly report that covers a lot of the managerial aspects of data science that we thought you all would be interested in. So, Michelangelo, thank you for joining me again. My pleasure. Um, so this week, we will talk about how we think about recruiting and interviewing and hiring folks. Uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So a little bit of scene setting here. So, Michelangelo, you have a bunch of data scientists who work for you, so you're presumably involved or have been involved in recruiting, interviewing, hiring. How big is your team? Um, let's see. So the team, I think, is there's a director and seven folks. Um, but I think the, the really relevant part is that <clears throat> I started here about two and a half years ago uh, when there was no data science team at all. So I, I was hired to basically build the team kind of from scratch. Oh, okay. And so, so that involved yeah. a whole lot of all the stuff we're about to talk about. Well, exactly. So tell me a little bit about how you started to break that apart into pieces because that's a big task. Yeah, it was really interesting experience because so um, as Katie mentioned, we worked uh, we worked together before at our previous company, um, and our previous company had its um, its kind of historical origins in the Obama campaign um, in 2012, and so we had a lot of like favorable publicity, and I would say we didn't have to try very hard to recruit people. Like we had a very active top of the funnel uh, mm -hmm. where good can well candidates were just pouring in, and yeah. so. Our main job was basically like sifting through those candidates to find the people that were really, really good and then convincing them to come come work for us. But um, it wasn't like a demand generation problem. Um, when I started here, I had almost completely the opposite experience. So um, we had no data science team in place. We weren't known for data science. Um, the company as a whole was probably like 40 or 50 people then. It's probably you know, 225 now. So, so we were small and we didn't have a, a huge name. And so the top of our funnel was like almost completely dry. Um, or like the things that were coming into the top of the funnel were just sort of garbage. And as an aside, let me just hop in here. So, um, you work at a company, um, in Chicago, like I do, you work at shop runner. Uh, yeah, that would probably be some useful, useful context <laughs> for the listeners to have. Uh, yeah. So I, I started the data science team, uh, at shop runner. We're at, Chicago-based um, e-commerce company. The kind of like two-second elevator pitch of what we do is that we run um, uh, a cross-retailer Amazon Prime-like service um, for obviously non-Amazon companies. So we have millions of members and uh, over 100 retailers, and our members get free two-day shipping and returns kind of across that network. Um, so my team works with, um, you can imagine there's a pretty interesting amount of behavioral data we can collect from across that network. And so my team works on uh, building data products on top of all that data. Cool. So yeah. So sounds like from the from the business fundamental, like pretty strong product. But you're still. Um, I mean, Chicago is. It's got a healthy data science team, but I wouldn't say it's the same order of magnitude as say the Bay Area or New York or Boston or something. Um, there is healthy competition for what talent is here, in my experience. So yeah. So that's that's a little bit of the environment in which you found yourself trying to start up this. Team. Yeah, the backdrop. So actually, it was interesting when I started at, at ShopRunner, um, we had just hired a new C CEO, and um, our headquarters was actually in the Bay Area. 
um, and the CEO decided to close the the Bay Area headquarters and move it to Chicago. Um, and his thesis, which I think is actually borne out, is that um, you know in the Bay Area the the supply of great engineers and great data scientists is quite high. Um, but if you're a small fish in that big market and you don't have a name or like you're you know you're not on the front page of the newspaper all the time or you're not some like super cool app that people are using all the time, it's very hard to attract really good talent. And so his bet was that um, we could come to Chicago um, and get some of the best people in Chicago and actually end up being in a much better position. And I think that that's sort of borne out. Um, but to go back to like the challenge of, of hiring the team, like um, a lot of the, the issue is that people didn't know who we are and you put job postings out there and you great people have jobs already or they um, they're on the market for a very short period of time and they're probably just not applying to your job posting. So how do you actually go out and uh, and recruit and find those people? And um, I think one of the, we talk about a handful of strategies in the report, but I essentially like I did two things. One was like I drank an insane amount of coffee. Um, like <laughs> literally anyone that would that would talk to me or anyone that ever sent me an email and wanted to chat, I would go and like have coffee with them um, because I think like, um, having a network and trying to like build up those connections like matters a lot because like I can tell them a story about like or a vision about what the team is going to do in the future that they don't get from like a job posting necessarily even if I wrote the job posting well yeah I think job postings I don't know this is just an aside I think job postings it's rare that I see one that like really captures I think what it would be like to work somewhere um, so I I always get so much more of an and a flavor from actually talking to somebody than I do from any job description. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like um, had coffees with anyone that would have coffee with me. I um, and then the other the other piece was kind of like investing in ways to like try to get our name out there. I guess so. Um, one of the things we talk about in the report is like using open source as a as a tool in your arsenal. So actually, like open sourced. Um, sort of like a silly Jupyter notebook widget actually like very early on in my time here but that got kind of like noticed a few places and has hundreds of GitHub stars and like started to get our name out there a little bit um, we wrote a couple um, blog posts initially started going to more conferences and events and that actually like slowly started to pay off a little bit so the, the first data scientist we hired um, was someone who was I saw was giving a talk at, uh, at a meetup and like a local meetup in town and I sent her an email and I was like, hey, your talk looks super interesting. Like, would you like to have coffee? I'm hiring, are you interested? And it happened that like she was on the market um, and she was kind of like, ultimately I ended up hiring her. She was kind of like the foundation of the team. She's now a manager managing other folks on the team. Um, but like a funny thing, uh, we one of the other things we talk about in the report is um, like, is diversity and techniques for recruiting a diverse team. and. One of the things we mentioned is that um, large laundry lists of skills in a job posting tend to turn off uh, women and minority candidates more than non-women and non-minority candidates. Um, there are lots of reasons for that, but it's sort of just a fact. And this candidate in particular had seen our job posting and thought she wasn't qualified um, and didn't apply. But then randomly I had sent her this email and we had coffee and then it turned out she applied and was like amazing. So that was just sort of sort of a funny little side story uh, but we hired her and then uh, the other person um, who was our second data scientist w was someone who just randomly reached out about coffee and was like hey I'm dropping out of a PhD program and I'm you're curious what what opportunities there are around Chicago we had coffee and um, ended up hiring her and then slowly 
kind of like built from there, I guess. So it sounds like there's a few there's a few techniques that either people who are trying to hire or people who are trying to get hired could could learn from this. So number one is be active on the meetup scene, whatever it looks like where you are, that that's where hiring managers go. And, and that's also a place where potential candidates are out talking about the stuff that they're interested in. And, and also for folks who are coming out of academic programs, whether they're masters or, or PhDs, that um, especially PhDs, like a lot of times you kind of have to do your own legwork a little bit. A lot of PhD advisors, they know the academic job market. They don't necessarily know the the data science job market. So reaching out to folks in industry who are sort of active on the scene. And yeah, I'm sure you must get, get these requests all the time for folks who are leaving academia or moving to Chicago and they, uh, they're at, they'll they ask if you'll talk to them on the phone or have coffee with them yeah. to give them some career advice. And it's funny, like a lot of, I think a lot of times data scientists and engineers uh, think about networking as kind of like a dirty thing or like something business, sounds, business yeah, people do. Really um, and like... <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's part of it is like being an academic or being like, you know, shy by nature or something like that. But actually, like, it doesn't have to be like weird and transactional, I feel like. Like, if you just like, I often just will have coffee with people and like try to be genuinely helpful. Like, I'll tell them about like what is happening in the data science community in Chicago and what companies there are and what my experiences were. And like, won't even necessarily try to tell them hey, you should come work for my company, because honestly, I don't know that much about them anyway. Yeah. But in the process, they learn about your company, and if they are interested and they do apply and they turn out to be really good, that can kind of bear out. And actually, it's funny, one of the other data scientists on my team currently is someone I met at our previous company who randomly sent me um, an email and was like, hey, I'm you know moving to Chicago because my girlfriend is here. I have a PhD. Um, I worked at Intel. I'm getting into data science. Like, Would you have coffee with me? And we had coffee he ended up doing a data science boot camp and then working at a different company for a long time. And then like four years down the road, like we now like work together. And so I think the other thing that helps is having kind of like a long-term view of your network. I guess. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, as, a, as an aside, like I'm in the process of, of moving jobs myself. So I just wrapped up a job hunt and yeah, um, I think there's an absurdly high percentage of the job. I mean, the data science scene in Chicago is not that gigantic, but a ton of the roles that I ended up looking at most seriously, I knew people there. Yeah, and I think like just to get back to the like filling the funnel piece, like if you are trying to hire to fill a team and you just sit back and you like wait for the recruiter at your company to give you good resumes to do phone screens with, like you're probably going to be waiting a really long time and you're going to be like really unhappy uh, because most of the time. Even good recruiters that you talk to can't recognize great candidates. So. so there was something that you said earlier that I wanted to come back on, which was you know warning away the laundry list of technologies or methods that you have to know about or whatever. And so while I think we would both acknowledge that you know being pretty good with a core set of technologies is really important, you need to know your way around the methods. Like what that kind of implies to me, but I think is worth talking about is that it sounds like when you are hiring or when you're thinking about interviewing candidates, it's not just about, do you know this language or do you know this methodology? So uh, let me put it to you this way, like what are the other things that you are looking for that are more important than whatever was below the fold when you cut off that list of technologies, all the other things that you left off the job listing? Yeah, I actually think the most important thing that I look for, I think a lot of people probably look for this, but me specifically is um, someone's ability to teach themselves new things and learn quickly. Uh, And I think actually that's the reason why PhDs work so well in this field. Um, 
because like even if your PhD is not super relevant, like um, a PhD is a signal that usually you persevered and were able to teach yourself a bunch of things that you needed to know to finish something. Because like you're out of the classroom, you have to learn these things. Like there's not someone that's like necessarily holding your hand the whole way. Um, and so like I think our field changes so quickly. Like there are new methods and new software packages and new databases that like you constantly have to be keeping your skills up to date and like if you are curious and you have the ability to learn new things quickly, I think that makes people really successful. How do you ask about that in interviews? That's, that's a super, that's a super hard thing. Um, and like one of the things, one of my favorite interview questions that tries to get at this a little bit is that like I've asked people like, um, imagine you won the lottery and you have a year and you don't have to work. Like, what would be the things you would be most excited to like teach yourself or, I or learn you about? Asking me that when I, interviewed this <laughs> I don't. Re- I don't remember what your answer. I was. said Bayesian hierarchical modeling, and you're like, cool, okay, that's pretty good. But I, like, I think it's it's usually less about the substance of the answer, but like sometimes you will, you'll ask candidates and they'll have like legitimately like no idea, or like they'll be like totally like. And I think most most people who are like really curious and like read a lot and try to teach themselves things have like this mental list of like. I could tell you like five things that I would work on tomorrow if I like won the lottery, and I think, um, and then you can ask, you can probe more. You can ask a candidate like, what, you know, why would you want? Why do you want to learn those things? Or like, what excites you about them? And that's like a way that um, to gauge a little bit of that curiosity and ability to teach yourself something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some other ways, but that's my favorite. So we talked a little bit a minute ago about some of the advantages of hiring PhDs. That that happens to be a background where you know you're you have demonstrated some ability to get stuff done fairly independently. But we know that there's a lot of people who have other types of backgrounds who've been quite successful in data science. So this was one thing we spent some time going through in the report. So one of the other backgrounds that we thought about was like data science master's programs have a lot of, they have a lot of market share right now, boot camps, that kind of thing. So this is a question that I get actually fairly often uh, because there's a lot of folks who are coming out of these programs and are looking for ways to distinguish themselves on the job market. So how do you think about if if there's someone with a data science boot camp or like master's degree background, uh, what are some of the things that distinguish them from perhaps the handful of other candidates that you're looking at that might have similar backgrounds? Um, So you mean like what what distinguishes like one boot camp candidate from another candidate or how to think about boot campers versus other types of folks you might put on your team? Um, I would, well, I think both actually are pretty interesting. Um, I think, like, we talk about this a few times in the report. I think a lot of it depends on, like, the life stage of your, of your data science team. Um, I think, um, you know, to the extent possible, like, if you're starting a new team from scratch, um, you, you kind of want some seasoned folks who've done, done things before and can really set a lot of the foundations for your team and help you scale yourself, um, and it's it's less likely that is going to be a boot camper who's kind of like new in their in their career. Um, I think um, like once you have like one or two people, your team has like shipped a handful of projects. You've got some of your practices um, in place. That's when it might make sense to bring on like a more junior boot camp type person. And I think that the issue with boot camps is that um, people have so many different backgrounds that go into different boot camps. Like you might have ex-scientist you might have um, like someone who has no scientific or programming experience at all and so 
um, it's very, very hard to learn everything that you need to know in the course of like a couple months. You can kind of learn some of the foundations. And so um, that person is just going to need more um, like mentorship and like upskilling than a different kind of candidate. And you need to make sure you have um, like space on your team for that, I guess. And so then it sounds like what you're looking for when you're interviewing them is you're assuming that this is maybe not a person who knows everything about everything. Yeah. They're going to have to learn some stuff once they get there. So... I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit here, so please correct me if I'm doing so like out of turn, but it sounds like the ability to learn is kind of disproportionately important there. Yeah, so like when we hire junior candidates, I think the most important thing is to try to assess like, is this person on a super steep growth trajectory? Like, are they just like sucking in as much information as possible, um, I guess? And like, even though they might not know a ton of things today, like, does it seem like in a few years they're going to have like learned a ton of stuff and that like... Um, you can sit them down next to someone who's going to mentor them and put them on some projects and they're just going to keep learning and keep growing. That's, I think, sort of the most important thing for junior candidates. Yeah, I think that also applies to the last couple types of data scientists that we were looking at, or different types of backgrounds that we saw. So one was software engineers who are interested in data science, and then also data analysts who are interested in data science. So Usually the software engineers are coming from more of an engineering background, like they probably are pretty solid on the technical and, and code fundamentals, although they might have to learn a new language or, or something. Um, and then the data analysts often are coming from closer to the business, so they might understand the business context a little bit more and what problems are important to work on, but maybe they're writing Python for the first time or something like that. Yep, and it's, I think like it's almost like, a, it's a little bit of an art, I think, to balance out like some of these teams. like. You know, if you have some folks on your team who are stronger in the statistical methods and machine learning work, that gives you more space to hire someone from an engineering background who, like, needs to learn some of those things, but maybe they know tons and tons of things about software engineering that they can teach, like, the rest of your team. Or, um, or same thing with, like, the business analyst. Maybe the business analyst is, like, a really excellent communicator who works with, like, product managers really well or works with these other people, and they can, like, bring that strength to the table, but then you balance that out with other people on your team. But like to, to hire the transitioning analyst as like your first hire or to hire the transitioning engineer as your first hire makes it a little bit hard, I guess. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the, that's one of the biggest takeaways I think that I generally took from writing this report. There were so many places where we had to be opinionated about something and our opinion was like, well, it, it depends. And like in this particular context, it depends on what your who's already on your team like where your strengths and weaknesses are how you need to grow i mean it's, you don't want a soccer team just a bunch of goalies yeah yeah people and also like people stuff is just super messy like i've i've like only gotten to appreciate this like over time i guess that like you can you can add one person to a three person team and it can like totally change the like vibe or feeling or culture of a team almost if if it's like the wrong kind of interaction and it's like almost impossible to know that ahead of time so management, super important. Getting the right people in the door, super important. Uh, in our next episode, this will be uh, the last one we have with Michelangelo, but we'll talk about once you have the team assembled, how do you keep people learning? How do you get them growing? How do you decide who to promote? All that good stuff. <laughs> See you next week. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. 
And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.